and welcome to another episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast. The only podcast where we steadfastly refuse to read any sort of flavor text inside a rules book. I'm your host for this evening, Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Jake Klopfenstein. Jake, happy holidays, my man. Happy holidays to you as well. Um, you said rules book, and I, I kind of like it. It makes more sense than rule book, because it's not one rule. It's a whole bunch of rules. It's rules book. I know. It's like the Faces book. I like that book. a lot. I have the Faces book also. That also makes sense. Why is it rule book, not rules book? I don't know, but I think it's now canon. It, ha- it has to be. You have to check the rules book. There it is. And if you have multiples of them, of course, it's rules books. Rules books. Can you pull out all the, <laughs> the rules books? <laughs> Love it. Well, we got an action-packed episodes for the listeners today because we are uh, doing, I think, the canonical top 20. I think this is the correct one, right? Oh. Yours is, like- yours is fan fiction for the mogul's I- top 20. I feel like I've just been dismissed. There it Have is. Have I been canceled, Jake? Yes, sir. I'll I mean, cancel again, you out the show anytime. We'll cancel it. Our pilot episode didn't do good <laughs> enough. We're not getting a, a real episode. <laughs> I promise I didn't say anything other, offensive in that episode, other than apparently my game choices for what my top twenty was. So, Jake, I would love to give you the opportunity for you to prove to me why yours is somehow superior to mine. Are you up to that challenge? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the best way we can start with that is explaining my rationale. So for people who don't know, if you know this in our last episode, this is our top 20. We do these at the end of every year. It's fun to do. And my methodology is similar to Mark's. Um, I take all of the board games that I've ranked and I rank every single game I play and I try to re-update them if I play them somewhat regularly and haven't played them again in a while. And I filter everything. I do an eight or better. And then I just yeet anything from the list that I don't think should be on there. And so things I've yeeted include like games under 30 minutes that kind of feel like a filler. I don't have marks. If you play it multiple times in a night, it counts as a full game. So don't expect to see sure. you on here. It got yeeted. It has been sent into the sun. What was about your sample set inside of Pub Meeple that you were using to actually determine your rankings? About how many games were you cross comparing? 57, I think, or 56. 56. You are a man of self-control. I'm even I even am. my down selected list was about 350. Yeah, I, my I'm apparently meaner than you on Board Game Geek. Um, I'm a little bit eight, eights are a little more rare for me. And I don't know. I just I know the same thing, too. So I know a game's not in my top 30 and it's still on the list. I'll just throw it away. And there's nothing wrong with that. I did rank everything down to 58 or 56. Pardon me. It's 58 in the spreadsheet here. But yeah, it's I, I just I don't need to know the middling. And quite honestly, you could probably have me retake this and a couple of things will move around anyways. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's generally kind of where it is. And I think that the list makes most more sense in tiers like the top eight probably won't move from nine till 15 probably won't move and 16 below probably won't move. Well, and even if you actually do go through and do the ranking exactly how it's supposed to be done, there's a certain amount of motion that happens inside of there because of the fact it doesn't it doesn't cross compare everything with everything else. So sometimes you might have, you know, A compared with B and B compared with C, but A and C never actually touch each other. So, you know, it gets tougher to actually put them side by side when you do it that way. Absolutely. And just like Mark, I did the pub meeple. Um, little ranking engine. Um, you just you get a whole bunch of things where you go left, right, down, up to to read to and skip and all that stuff. It's fun. It doesn't take too long, and I enjoy seeing it every year. The one thing I will find interesting is very. I would say in general, things didn't move that much, aside from a handful that moved a lot. 
It's either things sure. like are like six, three ish, that kind of that range of movements or like 43, 38, 35. It's very weird. Sure. Well, you are, you are a man that likes what he likes. I like what I like. And let's, <laughs> you know what else I like, Mr. Tusky? Starting the list. Just getting into it. Let's start jumping right after it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All um, right, my man. Well, hey, <laughs> let's do this then. At number 20, Jake, what do you got there? I got a wonderful game about immigration to a new town, a new, a new, new place on the Keyflower. Oh, I was going to ask if it had trading in the Mediterranean also, but no, no, it doesn't. This is set in like a, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of colonial times. I'm um, colonial America times. I, I don't know. It's, it's weird, but Keyflower is a game by Sebastian Bleasdale and Richard Brees that was published in 2012. It's a Euro game with a lot of cool little mechanisms in it that you've seen other places, but haven't been put together in this way. So you are using little meeples that are resources to bid on tiles. Tiles are pretty simple little resource conversion or endgame scoring spiffs is kind of the split of them. There's a couple of people resource conversions. And then you're going to bid on these tiles and then use those tiles in anyone's location using the same aforementioned workers of a handful of colors. And you're doing this over four phases to try to get the best little location that'll get you the best amount of victory points. But it's cool. I have this theory about games from like 2011, 2012-ish that were they were just like really good. There was something in the air, and I think this one is a good example of that. It's really interactive. It plays up to six. It's pretty quick, pretty punchy. It stays its welcome. It never overstays it. You can play it a lot. And it's just it's just really fun. Sebastian and Richard hit it out of the park here. For sure. And it's kind of our go-to, one of our go-to six-player games. So if we know that we're going to have kind of a good-sized crowd, and we all want to play together. That's certainly one of our on our short list of games that we're going to pick out and play. There are circumstances like this that happens. My friends are board gamers, but they're not like gamer gamers. They're, they're not as into it as Mark is here. But if they were to invite me to a game night and say, hey, Jake, I'd love to play a Euro game. Bring me something that's like 45 minutes, not super hard to teach. I would bring this game because it can play any number of people. Plays great at three, plays great at six. And you just kind of move quickly through it. It doesn't have a lot to do, but it has plenty to do. It's just nice. It's really good. Yeah, the only challenge I have with this one is that for some odd reason, I just I'm unable to set it up. If if Nick's not there, I'm not playing Keyflower because Nick yes. is a savant at setting it up and teaching it. Correct. We should have Nick print us off little uh, little sheet cards that just indicate how to set it up. <laughs> All that stuff. I don't even think I've ever read the rules. No, because I'm Nick is 100 percent positive. I never here. have. I own it and I've never read the rules. Me too. And me too. Nor have I figured out how to get the little uh card holder hider things back in the box <laughs> i have figured that out one question i do have for the um listeners is i know there's expansions to this game are they worthwhile in any way if they're worthwhile in a certain circumstance let me know if not no big deal i'm going to kind of plead the fifth here and wait to see if somebody can educate me yeah i have no idea on that one and would love to know the answer to that as well although you know um if the core of the euro is so good does it need expansions? I mean, I'm, I, that's a lesson I'm sort of learning yeah. that the base game often is so good that anything you add to it takes away from it. I would just enjoy a few more tiles, even if there's like maybe it's one of those games. It's like, yeah, there's some BGG promos by those. That'd be sure. maybe. maybe Yeah, I can see can that. Exist, but but anyway, that is Keyflower by Sebastian Bleasdale and Richard Brees. Number 20 this year. It is up one spot from last year. Excellent choice. Number 19, I know, is something also back from that golden era of board gaming. This is a game you actually loaned out to me and got my daughter hooked on, Jake. A game, speaking of multiple expansions, 
Let's let us know what number 19 is. Number 19 is Imperial Settlers by Ignacy Trevicek, published in 2014. It's probably the game I have the most expansions and financial stuff into. Um, I have like almost all the expansions in this game, which is weird because I don't play it that much. But Imperial Settlers is a tableau builder. You take single small actions on your turn trying to do the most things and the turn just rocket around yourself. And it's played over like five phases, I want to say. And in the first couple of phases, you just really don't have an engine. But in phase four and five, Phase four is the length of like the previous two rounds and phase five is like the length of the first three rounds. It's just so long just you have so much more to do. And it's fun. I like it a lot. I like games where you just are really just trying to hold it down, hold, hold your foot on the gas and just, you know, bolts are falling out. But it doesn't matter as long as you get to the, the finish line before somebody else. And this game kind of feels like that. We're just trying to eke out every single spare bit of juice that you can do to get a little bit more points and stretch your resources even thinner. You did say the dirty word, but I actually like this game quite a bit. Tableau. Engine. Tableau. Oh, engine. <laughs> I thought the car the car pun would work there. Maybe it'd bring you back in, even though I said engine. <laughs> you're like, Ooh, car. No, there's been a bunch of games that have kind of broken me lately that have been Tableau engine builders. And uh, amusing for somebody for them to take 75 actions in a row. Not amusing for me. See, but you don't take 75 actions, right? You take them one at a time. I if there was one more games. round, you would. Yes there was i mean it's it's this close it's right up to the edge of it being a blues traveler harmonica solo but not quite all the way there no way you are wrong if you're if you're if you're being beaten in this game you're aware of it and you're taking less actions but i mean that's kind of a you're playing poorly thing because usually at high level play one person will have a handful more actions maybe i'll take three at the end if i if i have a couple more they're lame like i'm gonna trade this golden i'm gonna trade this golden I'm going to trade this golden at the end. Like, it's just a couple of resource things that you can't really do anything with. It, it does stay balanced, but, you know, there is a uh, multiplicative effect each round on the number of additional actions. And, you know, yeah. if it were if it were five rounds instead of four, it, it would go on way too long and it, it would become boring for everybody not taking their actions. But as it is, brilliant game uh, ends right when it needs to. Yep. And, you know, as a result, has a lot of variety and lots of different factions lots of different replayability to there that the game really never gets old so it's a winner what do you think about its clones jake i've never played its clones. well technically it's a clone right because the first one was 51st state uh true yep 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 so i think he's made three of these he made 51st state then he made this one then he made 51st state master set right or like second edition or something um i played 51st state actually once i think it was fine i don't like the post-apocalyptic theme Mad Max kind of. I mean, I like Mad Max. I I think they're good movies and I enjoy media in that space. I just don't really want to play a board game in it. I just don't really like the aesthetic of the griminess. I don't think it conveys into paper well. But yeah, that's, I I think it's a good game. If you haven't tried it, this game's great, but it's much heavier than you'd think. It's probably the main takeaway. Yeah. And that was, that was a lesson I learned early on. I mean, it was very cute. I remember taking my, my daughter and son to a game store, Gaming Goat down in Chicago, back when they were probably, I don't know, eight and they were starting to get into games and we were buying games and they saw the Imperial Settlers characters and they went, buy that one. And the one thing I knew about it was that it was much heavier than it appeared to yep. be. And so I I don't remember what we had. I think we had got Machi Koro or something like that. But uh, Well, and it doesn't seem that heavy because you're reading it and it's just cards. So like the rule book's not that complicated. Like you can get through it, but all, a lot of the rules are on the cards. Sure. But for an eight-year-old, definitely not the right choice. <laughs> yep. So that's number 19, Imperial Settlers by Ignacy Cheveshek, uh, published all the way back in 2014. Yeah, down two spots from last year. 
And then wah, when I did, have you played it in the last year? No, I haven't. There <laughs> no. <you> go. <laughs> I was going to say, if you've played it, it hasn't been with me. So number 18, speaking of games that have clones, number 18 is certainly in that camp. This is the clone, the sheep clone. What was it? Dottie? Dottie the sheep? Yes, this is Dottie the sheep. <laughs> is that, is that, the, is that Dottie, the sheep's name? Uh, it is. Dottie the... And oh, if Dottie me. was a Scottish sheep... Because number 18 is clans of Caledonia. Caledonia meaning Scotland or something. I don't know. And you'd think after all these episodes, they'd call him Jake the Podcaster, but no. No. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw, I'm sorry. Scottish people of Caledonia means like something like it's a Holland, Netherlands situation, but I'm not going to fix the record. I'm just going to proceed on like Americans do. Um, Clint Skeletoni is my number 18 pick designed by Juma L. Juju, published in 2017. So as Mark was alluding to, this is very like in kind to both Terra Mystica and Gaia Project. I find it interesting that you don't like Tableau builders or engine builders when this game really kind of is an engine builder. It's just a little bit more situational engine builder. As long as there's like uh, bowling alley bumpers to the engine building, I'm, I'm cool with it. I just I don't like games where somebody can do 48 actions in a row and I have to sit there and wait for them. You just don't. That's and not that the doesn't case. happen in this game, but it happens. That doesn't in happen in many other engine builders. Doesn't happen. In, 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 sure happens in terraforming Mars. Yeah, but that's not that's not here. We're not talking about that. Don't talk about other games. <laughs> well, yeah, but I have to I have to allude to why I got what okay, hurt me. That's fair. Fair point. So Clans of Caledonia, it's um, if you haven't played any of those other games, you are putting out little bases. Um, this is specifically to Clans of Caledonia, not the other ones. Um, and you're kind of putting things down to get more resources that you can then trade in for stuff. And it kind of feels similar to Imperial Settlers, where you just really have to stretch and just use every bit of capital and every bit of resource that you possibly can to set yourself up for the next turn so that you can make more money and do it again, do it again to try to get the most points. It's a really nice sized game, both in length of play and kind of box size. So I bring in a lot of places. It doesn't play more than four, but it plays four really well. And it's punchy. We've gotten games of this game done in like 60 minutes, pretty much. Maybe oh, 60. easily. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, a wonderful length for that style of game and experience where, you know, you can sort of have that Terra Mystica experience in an hour, you know, rules teach included. And, uh, you know, walk away from it feeling like, okay, maybe it wasn't quite as epic, but, uh, you know, hit a lot of the same high notes. And this game, at least on the surface, appears to be financial. It actually kind of isn't. Like there's a market that fluctuates, but it fluctuates by like a dollar and just kind of. Right. <laughs> but um, compare that to Terra Mystica, where you have those little purple things flying every which way. You, there's kind of a bit of Euro garbage sliced off of that in Clans of Caledonia, where it just kind of makes more sense. Yeah, the, the magic bowls. Yeah, you just, you're, it's just money you you can figure out money you don't need to know how the bowls work and how purples move from what bowl to the others and valence electrons and all that stuff um <laughs> so i always, always explained it um but anyway that's clients of caledonia published by or designed by jumel juju published in 2017 number 18 this year a good one down four spots from last year one that's been on my want to obtain acquire list for quite a long time. Yeah, it's yeah. You know, I could just pull a trigger and buy one. I don't know why I haven't, and probably that's because you have a copy and you have access to a copy. And I bring it a lot. I bring it a lot too. It's not like a game I don't bring places. So hmm. I was actually just going to say, why don't you bring it more often? I don't remember you bringing it. I bring around, it so. all the time. It's I throw it in my bag all the time because it's so small. It's just I just grab it. It's just a little guy. So there you go. I have heard there's going to be an expansion. I've been off of the board game news lifestyle. 
which has been liberating. But uh, I don't know where it's going with that. But maybe that'd be a way to hop on the Kickstarter or something. Get a new new version. Right on. Good choice. Number 18, Clans of Caledonia. Yes, sir. Number 17. Well, let's get this party started. This is the only one on the list. <laughs> the only one titled 1850. It's the only 18XX game set in the upper Midwest on this list. It's the only one that includes Minneapolis. Correct. Yes. No, 18... Se- no, it does not. 1817 does not. There's expansions that include it, but that does not. Yeah, so we're talking about 1850, the uh, Bill Dixon classic from 2005. It's an 18xx game. If you don't know what that means, just skip it. It's not going to be fun for you to listen to this. Um, but 1850 is one that I don't know why I like, because on paper, there's better versions of this game. 1850, I believe, is a shorter version of 1870, very similar train roster just set north of it. So mm-hmm. the upper Midwest versus like the kind of lower Midwest. I don't really know what that region's cost. Heartland, I've heard some people call it that. But it's just, it's really good. It's got some cool things going on, price protection and the um, IPO shares kind of working how they should in a financial market. When they're in the IPO, they pay the company. And if they're in the market, they don't pay anybody, which makes a little bit more sense financially. And price protection. So if anybody ever sells your shares, you can, you can protect it and own above that 60% thing. And it's just good. Um, this is a game that's kind of fun historically because we met some really good friends playing this on board 18. Yep. And it's one of the best examples of the railroading in where we live, not just starting from Minneapolis and moving to the West Coast, really focusing on the upper Midwest. It's pretty cool. Yep. I mean, there's there's most likely one of those train lines goes right across my little hometown in southern Minnesota. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. This is a great title. It needs to be on Dot Games, Jake. Yeah, I'd like it. I, I'm wondering if they're going to do 1870, and that's just a quick and easy pull to get 1850 over. 50 but after doing 1870, yeah. Yeah, because um, it's the same, same trains roster, really runs the same, so. Because, boy, I cannot be bothered to play a game on board 18 anymore. Yeah, I've been playing some. I'm okay with doing it, because especially because it seems like a lot of playtesting happens there, but I play better on board 18. That's what I'll say there. Well, you certainly have to think your moves through a little bit more. Yeah, so yeah, you certainly do. I can certainly see that one. And uh, you actually do own a copy of this one, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, it's the only game I own from Deep, not Deep Thought, Golden Spike Games produced game. Um, All the rest are Scott Specials or mass market ones. And I think we had actually talked about playing this one in our last uh, abortive 18xx session with Scott Peterson, did we not? Yeah, I'd I'd like to. It It was certainly put out there. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd also like to try the 1832 systems rules on this game, which just won't work, but I want to do it, so... (laughs) cool i can see that which we may talk about later Uh aha let's put a bookmark there and move on to number 16 yes and 1850 is up seven um it's at number 17 up 11 spots from last year number 16 is up four spots from last year and it is mark's favorite euro game we determined that last episode just certainly by the fact that the games above it were not actually euro games yes this is your favorite euro game so what is it mark this is the Hisashi Hayashi masterpiece from 2016, Yokohama. If you've ever listened to a Gaming Moguls episode before, you've heard us talk ad nauseum about Yokohama. So rather than retracing the steps on what Yokohama is and how you play it and so forth, I actually want to talk to you a little bit about what's your, what's your move in this one, Jake? What's, what's your Yokohama strat that you go with? My Yokohama strat is to push hard for those three ABC goals. And like letting that define everything. Like I feel like that's the first thing you should look at when you look at the board. And then after that, I try to pick out a quick little route. I try to get like three things that I can go to that are close-ish to each other. Then I can kind of pick out which one I want to put a five in um, in a building. 
And then that usually ties with the A or the B if it's either pens or hammers, building types. And then, yeah, then I kind of pivot from there. And then you got to be a little dynamic. Like if a lot of people are going to the import place and you're trying to do the import place, you got to be aware of that or do the church if you're trying to do another way to get rid of a lot of resources. Is that you too or? No, I'm usually uh, either either church or exports, depending on which thing nobody's yep. going for. With kind of a tertiary of being, you know, getting trying to get technologies out there and get the technology yeah. bonus and so I've forth. I've been ignoring technologies recently. They do give you the end game, but as long as you get like one or two, it's not a lot of benefit of like really going ham on them. But. Well, and some of those are just so game breaking. I mean, the ability to be able to go someplace where another opposing president is can really <laughs> save you entire turns. Right. It's one of those games where you wish you would have done it three turns ago. And so then you're like, ah, oh, well, I can't get three turns of more benefit from it. So you, so you ignore it knowing there's like 15 more turns in the game. Right. <laughs> totally that. But I, another thing I think we should do while we're talking about Yokohama, and, um, I think we should have a moment of silence for TMG oh. and the, their, their death. Maybe you can play taps slowly over this. You know, I, if I were looking at my closet and some of my favorite produced games of all of them, those would be TMG's deluxified mm-hmm. editions of some of these games. You know, Yokohama Deluxe, absolutely gorgeous. Crusaders, Thy Will Be Done. I always play that game and just beautiful production. And Gents, recently, Gentis. And Gentis finally got yeah. to play that here last week after much talking about it. And wow, what a beautiful produced game. The original Orleans too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which I know you don't have, but it was an absolutely wonderful production. So now fortunately, most of these things are getting repicked up and republished again by other manufacturers. And hopefully they'll kind of pick up that mantle and do it justice. But yeah, sad that TMG isn't a thing anymore because their productions were gorgeous. Yeah. They certainly were in Yokohama is no slouch. Um, try to see if you can find a copy. It's beautiful. And the, the well, retail version is pretty nice, too. Like, I upgraded and I felt kind of silly about it. So that says something. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder if, honestly, that wasn't their downfall, ultimately, though, is that if you're going to go totally headfirst into deluxifying a game, you got to make sure it's a game that you're going to really get your re- investment back out of on that one. You know, Yokohama was a smash hit and very well-received game that sold a lot of copies. And I don't know that the games they chose to select it to deluxify after that kind of were up to that same level you know certainly not gentis was a great game totally enjoyed it crusaders is a fun game but they're never going to sell to the same level that yokohama did absolutely so on that siren sad song that was number 16 yokohama up four from last year still got to get you to try yokohama duel at some point jake someday someday that's the last thing tmg ever did right yep and uh it it might actually be their masterpiece of production it's amazing (laughs) They've, they've, they figured it out. They at least had it yeah. down to a science. They're right out on a peak. Razor thin or something. Number 15 is the only 18xx game set in the Mid-Atlantic on this. I mean, specifically in the Mid-Atlantic. Mid-Atlantic's in some of these others. But this is 18 Chesapeake by Scott Peterson, published in 2020. It's kind of a beginner 1830-like game. It's got a train export in there, so it can pick up the game well. But this game's subtle and I like it. I think Scott's really good at maps. I think that's probably the best thing he's good at. And 18 Chesapeake, just I really like the way the map develops. I like how you can shut down the PLE with that private. Um, I like how the green company, I think it's Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania, pardon me, Pennsylvania can kind of move a lot of different places quickly, but never first. Um, it's usually one of the second movers in all those places. And I like how DC develops really late as well. Oh, and then how can you talk about this game without talking about New York? The way that the New York token kind of control works is really cool. It's just 
It's really good. It's a region that is kind of fun to play in. It's a good little game. I like it a lot. It's kind of my favorite minimal to no Chrome 18xx game that is in 1830. Well, and it's amazing. I look at the published date on that one and I think, how on earth was this published in 2020? But the reason being is that we were exposed to it much, much earlier than that, playing on paper, you know, sheets of paper when it was still under development and so Mm -hmm. forth. And so it feels like so much older of a game than 2020. But, uh, you know, that's that's when the Kickstarter dropped. So makes sense. But uh, certainly we've got more years and miles under the belt than just a 2020 game. Absolutely. And this is my choice in that like 1889 slot. I don't like 1830 that much. I don't know I mentioned 1830. I don't play it that much. It's not on the list. So <laughs> I don't know why I had to hold it up on a totem. In your good uh, intro teaching game category. Is that what you're going for? Yeah, but not even a category. I mean, if I, I would just play this game if we're just like, hey, I want to play an 18xx game and I don't want to teach too much. Like, we're all going to know this and it's just going to, the game's going to melt away quickly. Like, that time where we played it with doing um, shots every time you withheld or did a force train by, the shots at Alberandi, it was like perfect. And that's that's kind of what this game's good at. It's like, I just want to play an 18xx game. I don't want to know too much. I don't want to play 1846. It's weird. I don't want to play New England. That's weird. I just want to play a regular train game. That's 18 Chesapeake. Vanilla, but not boring. Yeah, vanilla, but not boring. And it is a good teaching game. I've used it for that. But I mean, I played a lot with pretty experienced players. So Mm -hmm. it's got some legs that Chesapeake. Oh, for sure. And um, I I also like how well this game scales across different player counts. Yeah, we've played this with what seven the night we were taking shots with six, withholding six a lot of people yeah whatever whatever the most is i think it's six and you and i have played it just mano a mano which is you know hardly mm-hmm. ideal but i we had a good time and i think if i remember correctly bankruptcy is a big thing in three player so that's also another different aspect yeah to the game too so you'd be a little mean little uh bankruptcy 1859 style game or 57 whatever the fast one in South America is. Yeah, that'd be 1857. So, yep, great choice for this one. Love my copy. I don't know that my copy has gotten played yet, but looking at it, <laughs> doesn't matter. I still get a chance to play this one online quite frequently, and always a pleasure every time we play it. has not The, the chrome has not come off of it. The shine has not. Completely agree. Um, it's spot number 15, up one from last year. Number 14 is another Scott classic, the only 18xx game set in the New England area exclusively on this list. This is 18 New England, published in 2019, which is weird. I don't know how that makes sense on BGG. I don't know if Scott did that correctly. (laughs) I know, know because Chesapeake definitely came out before New England, yet New England Mm. has an earlier published date than Chesapeake. Okay. 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 But, you know, another game that we had very early access to. Yeah, we certainly did have a lot of experience playing as a result because we had a very early copy of it, played it a bunch of times at yeah. MidsumCon 2019 and just got a lot of laps underneath us in the process. Yeah, I've probably played this one like upwards of 15, 20 times now. I mean, so definitely not like um, designer level, but I've played it a lot more and those are all to completion. There's been a handful more so we just kind of like game, game stated out. But in New England, you are different smaller train companies that are fusing together to make 10 share companies. And the kind of thesis with this game is incremental cap games. So games where not all of your capital was raised when you first float have a snowballing issue. So the way that Scott tried to rectify this in this game is there is this concept of IPO shares. And even though your share is valued at 245 when you buy it in like OR or SR like five or whatever, you still only get whatever it IPO'd at. And the IPO value is either 100 or it's whatever the merged value of the two miners is. This is probably my most 
against the grain of the 18xx community game. Um, I think a lot of people dislike it a lot more than I do. Um, I think it's really subtle. I think it really rewards repeat plays. And I think it does not show well the first time you play if you carry 18xx truisms into it. Sure. I definitely agree that you need to play this one a few times because it, it is subtle. It is there are things that open up and you understand how important the timing is. And I, I think that's something that isn't clear the first few times you play it is that it, it's very much a timing game. And when you pull the trigger and when you do your merges and that can make yep. all the difference on the planet. And you, you're maybe not going to see that really clearly your first few plays that you're going to get on multiple repeats. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I don't know. And I think this game is really alike a lot of other games too. So I think maybe people are just like, well, I'll just play 61 or 67, but Personally, I'm not a huge fan of those games, just with the way that kind of the end game works. I love it. And so I think I was kind of eager to search for a game in that category. So maybe I like it a little bit more than than it's fair to. But I think it's great. I think the production's great. I think that's fast. And I've had some of my best 18xx gaming communities playing async with you guys with this game. Oh, for sure. Well, and in person as well. I mean, this is a game that, oh, totally. you know, during 2019 was a bit of our go-to game when we were playing live. Yeah, because you can teach you can teach it. There's not a lot of mid-decisions or early yep. decisions to make. Um, and you can kind of guide them with the drafting, like you're not bidding on anything. So it just, it just kind of works. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, this is, as Jake mentioned, this is a riff on the 1861-1867 formula to try to fix some of the things that uh, snowball out of control in those things. Like 1861 can really have a snowball-y late game. This was an attempt to make a private label version of that, if you will, that sort of fixes some of the issues that Scott perceived in it. And I think he was successful in creating something that stands on his own as a result. Yeah, I agree. Completely agree. Love it. Love this game. That is 18 New England, spot 14, down one from last year, traded with Chesapeake. I think they'll trade again next year. So not really worth much there. Number 13 is a game about a mystic land that doesn't exist with dwarves and fairies and tree creatures. Correct. Yeah. And trains. Yeah. This is 1882 <laughs> Asinaboya, which um, is doesn't absolutely exist. not real. Doesn't, it's doesn't not a exist. real place. Doesn't exist. Um, I hope I, I part of me just wants to leave this in there and just never, never address this. Okay. We know that. Regina and like Saskatchewan's a real place. It's close to us. <laughs> I'm playing this game right now with somebody whose family is from this area. So <laughs> right. it's also funny because we're probably, if you're like, we're to do a like splatter map on uh, where all our listeners are, we're probably one of the closer people to this region. For sure. Like it's almost our home. It's just like right over there. You're going to hit it with a baseball. So we're going to have to put this in a special spot next to 1850 for being our home turf. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Just <laughs> north of us and pretend cities. The one thing I will say about this game that's hilarious is. Yes, it is set in a region, but normally cities are like Baltimore. They are uh, Altoona, which is not a big city in Pennsylvania, but it's very important for, um, for train history. history. Sure. Yeah, exactly. There's Spirit Lake in Asnaboya, which is like not a place. There is a couple of towns that are full cities in this game, same value as uh, like Regina or something. And it is population like 2000. So little, <laughs> little liberties taken by Mark Foyer here. But perspective, right? I love 1882. It is my favorite chromey fast game. This is yep. the perfect tier of Chrome for me, and I really enjoy it. And Chrome for the non-18xx folks is kind of a term that's been co-opted by the community to mean like number of rules on top of 1830 is kind of the way to word it. Blingy add-ons. Yeah, but you maybe the term's used for like other games, but it's usually only used for full cap. I, I, I hear it said like that, but uh, hmm. yeah, so um, it's 
60% float. There's a handful of companies. The privates are really, really, really cool. The map is pretty interesting and there is not a lot of tiles. So you can really bone people with tiles. You can really bone people with token spots. You can uh, just be a dick to your friends in a bunch of different ways. Small, tight map, gnarly terrain. Absolutely. And it ends in bankruptcy all the time. So it works pretty well as a teaching game. I actually use this probably more than Chesapeake as a teaching game because if you make a wrong decision, hey, you're dead. It's over. No need to limp on with 60% ownership of a company that is garbage. And dead in 45 minutes. Yep, exactly. We played, I think, two rounds of this game and then two hours once Mm -hmm. as our last (laughs) board game before the pandemic. It's really good. I'm not going to say anything else on it because I think we've talked about 18xx a decent amount, but this is just a really great game. It's uh, number 13, 1882 Asnaboya, designed by Mark Foyer, and it is down three from last year, but still very good. I'm currently playing a game of this right now online, and uh, I think I think there's a third place, maybe a second place in my in my future. Like I've got a five train, so I'm not going bankrupt, but. I got stuck with the big private and uh, didn't play the stock game well enough. And so I'm just sort of condemned to mediocrity. I'm not going to go bankrupt. I have a permanent, but there's also kind of no moves for me to make. All right. There's no companies left for me to start. Just got to be a dick with tracks. You just got to be yeah. dick. You know what I mean? And I think my play is here. Wait for somebody to go bankrupt and or not bankrupt, but have to sell off a bunch of stuff and then just swoop in and take something. I don't know. There it is. That's my best play right now. I mentally put this on the same shelf as 1848 Australia. Oh, they're kind of about the same size game. They're kind of about the same level of Chrome. I don't I'm not implying that they're the same game. They're not. They're clearly not. But I totally. sort of in level of difficulty and play length and so forth and amount of chrome, I, I sort of compare the two. I disagree. This one's way shorter than 1848. 1848 is 18 max and this is smaller than 18 max, but with okay, a bit I'll give you chrome. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from there. And 1848 honestly doesn't have that much chrome. It just has Bank of England, which is easy to do once you do it. But anyway, that is 1882, my number 13. Number 12 is one of the last 18xx games the carolina reaper of 18xx games you ever watch those youtube videos jake where somebody's trying to be macho by you know okay i'm gonna take the carolina reaper challenge watch me eat it it's so hot oh it's hot oh yeah that was like that was like vintage challenge you know where they had like a challenge and it wasn't just like people being mean to other people in public it was like a thing you had to do like dump ice (laughs) on you or eat a eat a hot pepper I think you got to get over yourself with this game. This game is not that hard. It is fine. For a 22 lover and enjoyer such as yourself, I think you should allow 1817 to exist. So my number 12 pick is 1817, designed by Craig Bartell and Tim Flowers, published in 2010 originally, um, but published, I think, 2019 or 2020 by um, Scott at All Board Games. So Mark calls it a Grim Reaper because it's such a heavy game, but it's not. It's actually really simple. Everybody that talks about 18 talks about like they're doing CrossFit. Oh, well, I do CrossFit. <laughs> you know? well, it's just so good. It's I just play like, 1817. It feels like 18xx 2.0 in a real way. Like there is a whole new meaning to how capital flows in this game. Meaning that's not the right word. There's a whole new way to how capital flows in this game. And a core truth and core conceit of this game of I only have a certain amount of money in holdings is no longer true. The fact that you can short people and just get free money, I know it's not free for the real listeners. I know it's not free, but the fact that you can just (laughs) get capital and do something with it in a game completely changes how the whole game works. And I'm not saying I'm good at this game. I would probably say I'm not. I'm I'm the opposite of good. I'm bad. But the fact that it just exists and it's done something so elegantly to both be really thematic 
really thematic agent in XX game. I don't know why. And really like works in a way that is gravity bending. It's just, it's just wild. It's so cool. So cool. And it's not that complicated. Honestly, it's not that complicated. Probably has less rules than 1822 hmm. in rule books. It, it, <laughs> yeah. In the rules book. In the rules books. The rules yeah. books is probably smaller in 1817. I'll give you that. Using the mogul scale as an analogy, 1822 would be higher on the number part of it, whereas this would be definitely higher on the letter part of it. Oh yeah. God, it's ridiculous. There's just so much little things you have to do and maintain and like not appear to be the weak one in the bottom of the pack so everybody shorts you and it's cool. It's so cool. It scares me, but I wouldn't say it's like a Grand Reaper. It's like a high dive into a pool, which <laughs> is scary, but also captivating and fun. And you can show off while doing it. I'm coming from a point of jealousy because at the end of the j- end of the day, Jake, I don't think I'm smart enough to play that. <laughs> I think you are. I absolutely think you are. Because honestly, the mechanisms for company size conversion are so freaking easy. It's ridiculous. It is take your two share, you become a five share. Okay, that's fine. That's it. Like that's, that's the whole thing. There's a handful of times about starting companies at different tiers that you can like do. I'm not at all concerned about the what, the why, on the other hand. <laughs> it'll be fine. It'll, be fine. it'll be fine. Just yank levers. Just what yank them around. You're, you're just running around <laughs> the thing. But that's Why does everybody that's a, keep shorting my companies? Because they're bad. It's free money. Because <laughs> they're bad, Mark, and you're bad at this game. So we're just going to short you. Correct. Actually, I just I got a new parallel here, Jake. This is like playing the don't come line in Vegas. Oh, yeah. You're like, come on, man. You're rooting for me to craps out here. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Correct. Why, yes, I am. Because you're going to roll Correct. a seven. Correct. And roll. then you roll a seven and then then you look great. That's it's weird, but it's, it's almost like you want to. A better thing would be like you're currently shooting and you just like really it's like really late in the night and just don't want people to do the don't come line. That would that would be the thing. And it's like your personal preference is based or your personal performance is based on whether or not people think you're going to bust or not. Crap. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, I will give it a whirl at some point. I have tried playing some of Scott Peterson's new uh, derivative versions of this. Mm-hmm. And so I've been exposed a bit to the system and found it interesting. I don't know that I fully understood it, but Straight um, up, don't play it on the dot games. It's like so different. Like you need to run it. Yeah, I think this is one. This is one I've discovered that there are definitely games that need to happen in person. Yep, and this is this is that being one, Harzbon being another. I'm done trying to play Harzbon online. Yep, they are too weird. So that was 1817 by Craig Bartell and Tim Flowers, uh, published in 2010 by All Aboard Games. Jake, are you trying to get yourself a fruit basket from from Scott Peterson these days again? Um, Yeah, yeah, maybe that or a Christmas card or something. Just whatever. Just a little 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 token (laughs) of appreciation would be great. Um, but it's down six from last year. So I don't know. I don't know how much of a compliment this really is to him as a publishing house. All right, Jake, do you got something that's not an 18 XX for me? I do. I, it's, it's a game you still never played though. Um, this <laughs> like is I have the list handy here or something like that. Right. This is a <laughs> game that is by renowned 18 XX designer, Thomas Lehman. That is not an 18 XX, but it is a card game version of a board game card game that was originally a board game. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, that sounds right. In the illustrious history of the Race for the Galaxy trilogy, it was originally supposed to be Puerto Rico. The card game. Well, Puerto Rico is the board game. Puerto Rico, the card game was San Juan, and this was bigger San Juan. Correct? Sure. I think so, yes. Let's just run with it. I'm sure I'm wrong. But anywho, in Race for the Galaxy. There's definitely Puerto Rico DNA in Race for the Galaxy. Somehow. But space. Space Puerto Rico. Um, You have a whole bunch of cards, and you're using these cards to build different worlds and developments to try to get the most VPs. 
You do this by selecting actions. Um, and then if you select an action, everybody gets to follow you on said action and doing it. But you get a special little spiff for doing it. You get to do either a card back or you get like an extra discount on something, yada, yada, and so on. You do this to kind of do a race for the galaxy. The game ends when someone puts out their number of cards. I think it's 12 or when the bank pool breaks. But it really feels like a race where you are just slaving away and trying to sprint to get towards that finish line. I'm not usually proud or, I don't know, braggadocious about my skills in a game. I think I'm pretty good at race. I think gun to my head on a game that I had to beat somebody on. Might be a race. I'm pretty good. I usually can do pretty well against two hards on the app. So bow to me. And that is actually the only way I've ever played this one is on the app because I don't. You've <laughs> never, you've never bought this game. AI is pretty good. Yes, they's got <laughs> got it going. Oh yeah, I got I got kicked by the AI, but yeah. I played it on there. Correct, absolutely, and it's a great app. I've played this game on the app probably thousands of times, and I've played it in person dozens. So love this game. It's really fun. Um, I might like a game that has the same last four last three words in it, but different R word in the beginning. Might get to that later. That, <laughs> a little bit better. <laughs> that is Thomas Lehman's uh, 2007 classic Race for the Galaxy at number 11. Last year was number eight, so it's down three. Another trash game. Get it off my list. And friends, we are not yet at peak Thomas Lehman. No, this is peak Thomas Lehman. This is. Oh, it is not peak Thomas Lehman. I guess there's another person, the other one. I'm calling this peak Thomas Lehman. I'm saying 2005 was his year. Okay. Every year from that was down because this game, 1846, a game set in the Midwest where you're racing from the East Coast to the Midwest, is really good. And one could say it's Thomas Lehman's best 18xx game. So this is game two in the For the trilogy. For the the race, the yeah race for the <laughs> yeah. It would be funny if they tried to like reskin 1846 to be set in space in the Race for the Galaxy universe, which is the most like milk toast sci-fi universe ever. Race for the Galaxy, race for the Midwest. <laughs> he was just a racy guy. This guy was out here sprinting. He was just trying to get from point A to point B as fast as he could. It's a really good 18xx game, but it is the weirdest one. People always say it's a good teaching game, which it's like not. No, it just has no. it just has a draft in it, and I guess Friends, people think that most accessible good. does not mean best teaching. Correct. Yeah, or most and most available. There we go. Well, yeah, it's also good because you play it and you're like, oh, cool, this will be fun. I can have some truisms that'll apply to other games. There's so many weird things in this game that just exist in this game, and they work in this game wonderfully well. Thomas Lehman's a genius, but um, it does not translate to other games, which isn't which isn't bad. Game should be viewed as single items, not as uh, parts of a genre. And this game in that light and lens is beautiful. But yeah, it's an, it's an incremental cap game. It has maybe a bit of uh, snowballing because it kind of is an incremental cap game, but it's over so fast that I don't really think it matters that much. But this is probably the most played 18xx game I have. Um, sure. I've played it sure. a whole bunch on dot games, played it a whole bunch on board 18, played it a whole bunch in person. And I just, I love it. I've, Kind of hitting that end of the bell curve where you're bad again because you, you overthink every single move and you get a little princess bridey in regards to the poison where you're double and triple thinking <laughs> what your opponent's going to do. Right, right. And forces you to make pretty silly m mistakes, but it's just a beautiful game. And I, I've been really enjoying the micro expansion. I'm really excited to see what 33NE is going to bring. So it's a cool one. Yeah, this is one that I really have to 
check my brain. I have to, you know, remove remove my normal 18xx brain and go get the weird one and put that in. Plug in. Kind of rethink it. And like, I have to play it a couple times in a row because I guarantee I'll play extremely poorly the first time out because I have to reprogram my brain to think in 1846 terms. Yep. And it never goes well the first time. And actually, it never actually goes well ever. I think I I don't believe I've ever won this game. (laughs) You played it quite a few times. That is that is. That is high. Do we have to bring that up? Did we have to go there? You brought it up. I'm just I'm just clarifying some <laughs> some stats for the listeners. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy it, but yeah, this is a uh, this this is definitely an albatross around my neck for sure. And the other reason I like this game is it is the nail in the coffin for twenty five dollar poker chips because every single track cost in this game is twenty dollars. It's just it's the argument settler eighteen forty six. You just got to play it enough to remind everybody that why you have twenty dollar chips. Sure. One out of uh, 138 titles. I'll give you that. Correct. And it's the best one. So even though I didn't rank it the highest, but that's just fine. <laughs> Don't worry. It's the best one. <laughs> that is 1846 by Thomas Lehman, um, published in 2005, more recently published by GMT Games. It is down six spots from last year. Another bad game. All these bad games are getting kicked off my list. For sure. I'm being facetious. I love this game. Hope that's hope that's coming across. Hey, now we're busting into single digit games. So in your first single digit game, I know. Let's have a game with four digits in it. Oh my god, two of them being eighteen. I this is bad. I don't know why, but it's <laughs> they're all clustered. This let, is let me, let this me say is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Out of nine games, seven of them are eighteen XXs. I promise you, friends, you're not. Listening to 18xx the podcast. Yeah, it's funny. You can tell that we clearly this is the real list. There was no massaging happening because at any person on the radio would have been like, "It doesn't matter, Jake. Please alternate these games. Don't do them." All I don't the want to talk about seven 18xx's in a row. Correct. This is this is the 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 marathon hardcore mode of uh, the top twenty podcast. So my number nine is 1832 the South. It is down eight spots from last year. It was number two last year. Really like this game. This is that other game that I mentioned by Bill Dixon, um, the same designer who did 1850, which is set in the upper Midwest. This one's set in the South, though. So all the way from Florida up to, I believe, Virginia and over to Kansas. Mm, I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah, and then yeah. down to New Orleans. That kind of the Tennessee River Valley. A wonderful, wonderful term. Correct. And it's really cool because it has all the same cool things that 1850 has. But it also has systems where you put two 10 share companies together to form a 20 share company, which is wild. And it has the concept of shells where you can force yourself to buy trains if you want to, because you can allocate those trains into shells because each company keeps its full train limit. Oh, so good. Love this game. Played it a lot for a while and I was uh, really exploring into it. And it's, I think, the only game on this top 20 that I do not have and have currently no plans of ordering it. Like, it's not pre-ordered. I've heard that the Rails on Board guy are going to do these after they do 1836 Junior. It's Europe somewhere. But their next one after that is supposed to be 1832. And I can't freaking wait to have this one in my collection. I'm going to play the absolute crap out of this. Probably one of the last 18xx games I ever would get rid of if I had to pair the collection down. This one, like, goes down to Florida. There's some, like, there's some weird little special chromey company down in Florida. Yeah, on this one, right? Okay, I yeah. have played this one. Yeah, I, I freaking love companies with special rules. I love mm-hmm. it. I don't know why, but I just freaking love it. I love it in 1846. I love it in 32. It's just ah, so cool. 1890, Jake is calling your name. That there whole it is. game is getting Everything majors with weird special powers. powers. 
Absolutely. Yep. If it hadn't, I would like to play when it is a real, real stock market. Anytime you want, man. Well, it has it now. We fixed that there problem. It is. We fixed it. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, it's been a while since I've played this one. Remember really enjoying it. We, we need to get copies of this in our little world here. And it, and and or it needs to be on dot .games so that it's a little more accessible. Completely agree. I'm thinking it all depends on what's happening with the first copy of the Rails on Board published game. But um, I'm hoping that there's still enough demand for these games in a couple of years because it seems like that's probably the timeline for this game. But it is so good. And I canceled my wait list to on the uh, Golden Spike games to hopefully get a better produced one and or pardon me, not better, but the kind I like should be good. That's number nine, 1832, The South by Bill Dixon, published all the way back in 2006. Also, I think we should tell the listeners, we have a long respite of no 18xxs. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. You have a little, you have a rest. We're going to talk about a bunch of things that are not 18xx going forward. You made it. You made it. There might be one other encounter later, but, but you take some rest, weary traveler. You made it across the desert. No, you made it across the ocean to a small island called Java in an island nation of Indonesia. Which is the number nine game. <laughs> Being careful not to getting tangled up in any Scriptina font along the way. Correct. You've avoided the Sea of Scriptina. <laughs> Indonesia is my number eight game for 2021, um, published by the Splatter Bros of uh, Joran Druman and Joris Rasinga in 2005. It's their most financial game. It almost feels like kind of an ode to 18xx in a weird way. It's really logistics-y. Sure. The way that mergers work is really cool. It really scratches the same itch as 18xx, but it also is its own thing, and it doesn't really try to be something it's not. I really like this game. I like how the boats work. I love how the mergers work. I love being an agent of chaos and making people merge when I don't even want the companies. I just want them to figure it out, and it's it's fun. I know you hate a lot about this game, but what do you like about it, Mark? You know, this was on my top 20 list this year, Mm -hmm. and that was probably the number one thing I got questions about, quite honestly, was people saying, really, Indonesia is your favorite splatter game? What about Food Chain Magnet? What about Great Zimbabwe? What about Mm -hmm. Roads and Boats? What about 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 I happen to really like Indonesia. I joke about it. I mean, sometimes you're meanest to the ones you love the most um, or most critical of their faults. And quite frankly, 100% of my concerns with Indonesia are literally around graphic design and UX UI concerns. A redraw with different art would take it to 11 for me. But having said that, that's never going to stop me from playing the game. I own a copy of it. I love it. It's, you know, a complex brain burner that's interesting every step of the way and uh, extremely interactive and all those are wins. So I love playing yeah. Indonesia. Just, I don't know. The, the Scriptina font is fingernails on a blackboard to me, having been a photographer for a bunch of years because every female wedding photographer uses that font. And if I never see it again, I'd be okay. That'd be just fine by you. So it'd be interesting. I know Capstone did license bus. I wonder how that went from a business standpoint because I would say the next one they should publish is... Probably Indonesia, because I bet you could get it down for a lot cheaper. Sure. With how much cheaper, like, it seems like the, the, the shaped bits are now. And just do a handful of boats and redraw the map and some cards. Wambo Bambo. I would definitely purchase a capstone version of Indonesia. No questions asked, even though I own <laughs> I own one. Yeah, I'm in for this game with the, the Meeple Source upgrade kits, which I think is like 50 or 60 bucks. 
even more than that. So I'm probably into this game for like 200 bucks and I probably would rebuy too, which just shows how much I like this game and how bad I am with money. And to fix my only concerns with it, I'm going to invest money back myself where I'm going to take one of the redraws and I'm going to print it out jumbo sized, like full like convention table sized neoprene mat so that the accidentally oversized resources are perfectly sized for the oversized mat. And Perfect. so I'm, I'm going a different route with that one. And actually, Jake, I saw a new redraw this week that was, oh man, it was gorgeous. Did you see that? I, I posted a link to that in our chat. I think yeah, maybe. I think I saw oh, it. Was beautiful. There are so many pretty ones. The man. redraw community is amazing. Yeah. So I just need to print a, a redraw map to my own personal tastes and then size it to the re- oversized resources I have. And then I got a cool convention game. Yes, sir. Um, and that is my number eight game up 22 spots from last year. I was very anti splatter last year, a little disillusioned. And this year, this is their uh, delegate from the coming, uh, coming back from the lower areas. They've sent their best. And that is Indonesia. All right. Number seven. So number seven is peak Thomas Lehman. It's the number three in the for the trilogy for the for the. Yep, it's Roll for the Galaxy by Wei Hua Wang and Thomas Lehman, published in 2014. So this is obviously peak Thomas Lehman for you, being that it is your highest rated Thomas Lehman game. Yes, it is. But Wei Hua Wang is technically first on the order of desires. Oh, that's a good point. Okay. I don't know if they were being nerdy about that and made sure it was correct, but I believe on BGG because I copied and pasted. So um, Wei Hua Wang is getting best actor and Thomas Lehman's getting best supporting actor? I guess, but I mean, who knows? Some actors are known best for their supporting roles and they've been lead actors before. So this is definitely his best, his best role. So I love Roll for the Galaxy and um, I think we should just let the cat out of the bag. We've recorded this once already and uh, we weren't <laughs> dumb. And uh, this is our first time using our second time using actual webcams. A video we record yep. the same things. Yes, yeah, so we have video feed, but we both set it up. We didn't toggle the uh, back to the original microphone sets. So it was recorded on our USB mics on our really bad webcam. So that was not going to work. So we have an entire hour and a half episode completely recorded on crappy webcam mics that we had to basically just chuck in the can because it was unusable. And when we were doing that, we hit number seven and Jake was ranting on and on about how much he loves this game. It's a forever game for him. And God dang it, I really just, I need to buck up and buy the newest expansion. I've just, I've been meaning to, it's been a couple of years. It's not cheap, but uh, you know, I don't know how much longer it's going to be available. I really want it. I don't know, man. And it's not getting cheaper. Like just, it's not just getting cheaper. It. it is what it is right now. Right. And me being a good friend, literally the second we got off the recording, click stop, click save, and then went to Amazon and clicked buy <laughs> thinking, <laughs> sweet, I have my Christmas present all figured out. For Dunzo. So fast forward to last Wednesday night, a little, uh, you know, mid holiday gaming get together we did on our normal Wednesday night. And uh, I've got the expansion all wrapped up in my car, ready to give him at the end of the night. And bizarrely, Jake has roll for the galaxy with him in his bag because it's not like you bring this every week. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why you had it with you. Because I was lamenting that I don't bring it anywhere. No, I like the game. So he pulls it out and I just go, yeah, we should play a role for the galaxy. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we should totally play that. (laughs) And so, you know, we fired out a couple of quick games and immediately afterwards, Jake gave me a whole list of, oh, man, really should buy this expansion. (laughs) Really should get the expansion. Absolutely. And 
I, I guess the question is, did you feel really smart just like knowing that we were playing a game to do that? Or did you second guess yourself and say, oh, I should have brought that expansion out and we could have played it? You know, I thought about going out to get it. I mean, but I did the math quickly and just said, you know, we've got only like an hour left before game close. If we kind of get after, we can play two quick games if we keep it simple. You know, let's just roll, play the base game and then, you know, fresh in the mind, I can whip out the surprise and it'll be right. And it worked, man. It absolutely worked. And actually, while reading the expansion, it's going to be totally normal. I had the wrong perception of it. There's two modules that are are not always includes, but then there's always include stuff with a couple with with a new die type. And I think it'll be just totally normal. So really excited for it. Roll for the galaxy. You, you roll dice. You do workers. It's actually the dice version of the card version race for the galaxy, which is a card version of another card game called San Juan which is a card version of Puerto Rico. And this joke will never get old to me because I find it hilarious how derivative it is. And <laughs> you get one good idea and you just keep it, just, it out. Just keep it going. Just iterate. You know, it's just so good. Kind of like Uva Rosenberg in farming. Completely, completely agree. And it's just, it's really good. A little bit too much to explain on the podcast, but it plays super fast. We played two, we played our second game in 25 minutes. I timed it. At five players. At five player and someone it was their second time playing. So not a super complicated game once you get it down, but it's just so good. I just, I love it so much. I love this game. One of my favorite games, probably the most filler board game on here, but I'm putting that in air quotes because of the teaches about as long as it takes to play the first time you play. This one can be a little bit of a bear. The iconography in the game and the way you play it is is wildly different than most other games you play. And it, I could just see, even though it's not a difficult or long game, I could see Eric's face was just getting blanker and blanker as we were explaining the rules. Now, he picked up on it. You were very good at coaching him through that first game. But at first he was just like, what do I do? Well, it's it's not just the rules. It's the rules. And then there's all these symbols looking at you. And even though Jake's explained diamonds are developments and circles are worlds, which are settlers, you see the circles and diamonds. You're like, well, what's going on? It, it looks like wingdings. Like you roll a big thing of dice yeah. and you're presented with wingdings looking back at you and you don't know what to do with it. It's like you just have to do it once. You're like, oh, I, I get it now. For whatever reason, you're looking at it and you know what the word means or not the words, what the symbols mean. And you know what to do with the symbols. But for whatever reason, like you can't just do the thing that you're supposed to do to play the game, which is weird. But I've seen it happen so many times. Yeah, I think the thing that really maybe is the part that people have trouble understanding with the game is the the action of arranging the dice behind the symbols. I think that's the thing that like maybe need to spend more time on in the rules is the okay, you're going to sort all your dice first and then you're going to reposition a couple of them and then you're going to pick one of those actions to guarantee. And I think yep. that seems to be where people just sort of don't understand what they're doing. Like the individual yeah. actions and the types make sense, but right. just the okay, you got to go do this thing behind your screen and nobody else can watch you. So, you got it? That's something we could probably coach better. And that's what I kept on doing. And you kept on overhearing it of like, Eric would be confused. Oh, what am I doing? And then I'd sneak over and say, have you arranged them? And he'd say, no. And I'm like, well, why didn't you do that? It's the first thing you do. Line them up and then you can figure out what to do from there. But like first step is just line them up. Please line them up. Yep. Sort them out. Yep, absolutely. So that's Roll for the Galaxy, designed by Wei Hua Wang, who has a wonderful name, and Thomas Lehman, published in 2014. Wonderful game. Awesome. Hey, you know, if we wanted to pick a game that was farthest possible from 18xx that we possibly could, it would be your number six game. Although that's not true. Both have Canada roots, right? No, <laughs> no, no. Both don't have Canada roots. What year was this game published, Mark? Ooh. Oh, ah. I gotcha. I gotcha. BGG says it is Crokin- an 18xx game. Correct. BGG says Crokinole, my number six game. 
was published originally in 1876. So this is the long lost 18xx game called 1876. Well, there are tokens all over the place. Correct. They're discs. That's big. Crokinole is kind of a bar game. I think it's similar to curling. I should play curling. I have friends in curling leagues and I should just tag along. Really? Curling, shuffleboard, shuffle alleys. Yeah. I mean, it's all kind of in that family of slide something to be near a target somehow. Correct. And potentially knock some other ones out of the way. Correct. You have uh, this big circle board that you're playing on. You're flicking little discs from the quadrants, the outside quadrants, to try to either land within the most, the smallest middle circle with pegs around the outside, which is scored 15, or the little indentation within that that's a 20. Whenever you get in the 20, you got to remove it. There's two conditions. If there's your opponent's disc on the board, you must strike it with yours. If there's not your opponent's disc on the board, you must land yours within the 15. That's play. Go right ahead. And then depending on what discs are still left on the board, at the end of the round, you do delta scoring. So if I have like 60 on the board, Mark has 40 points, I will actually only score 20. Um, there's like a fancy tournament way to score, but I usually play that I, way. I don't even do that. It's just if you you either win or you don't. Oh, you do? You do the tournament strategy? And yep, so it's like just, first to five or whatever? Yep. If you have more points, you got the win. And then we, you know, first to five. See, I, I like the real way to play, though, because we've come back at like someone will be at 85 and you'll be at 50. And you, you just have the round, you know, you just put four or five in the middle and it's just so fun to be like, I, I guess we win. You know, it's, it's fun yeah. to shoot the moon if you will. Um, but I, I, I don't disparage anyone who plays the other way, especially because it's annoying to keep track of the score. But this is my favorite current to like bar game. Mm-hmm. There's something about my brain that really likes looking at a board state or something, imagining something to do it physically and then doing that thing. I just freaking love it. Like some of my favorite activities are golf, disc golf. I like trap and skeet shooting. I like mm, pool mm-hmm. a lot. I like, and I like flicking. Trap and skeet shooting is probably the wrongest one because you can't pre-imagine it. You kind of know how it's going to go, but you can't 100% know. But there's just something about this that just scratches my brain in the most satisfying way. And I freaking love it. Crokinole is amazing. I love it. So good. I actually got a chance to uh, give a crokinole virgin their wings on on New Year's mm-hmm. Eve. So our board game buddy, Phil, who's the uh, the master of all things Euro, he was over at my house for New Year's Eve. And I don't know, the ladies were off chit-chatting and our buddy Wally called it an early evening. And so Phil and I were just hanging out, drinking scotch, shooting crokinole right up until midnight. There certainly are worse ways to spend it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it was actually, it was was actually delightful. Had a, had a good scotch and a crokinole board and played a pile of games all back to back. And of course, I, I think there's maybe a solid millimeter of gliss powder now on top of my board. I probably need to just vacuum it up and start over again because there's a lot of gliss powder yeah. on my board right now. But that's the main reason I don't play with gliss powder. I don't have a table I can always leave it set up on. So sure. pretty much every time I play it, I take it down. So that's why I play it naked. But my new board is quite nice, which I don't believe you've played on. It's no, I've not. much more similar I've to the, it, but I have not played the on very it. fancy boards. I probably could put a wax seal on it or anything, but Crokinole sweet. If you haven't played it, try it. If anyone in the Twin Cities ever wants to try Crokinole out, just let me know and I'll happily bring my board to the bar or whatever. No big deal because it is very expensive. It's a couple hundred bucks to buy a really nice board and, I bought a $100 board from a kind of cheaper store in Canada and absolutely regret it because... Yeah, you, you do not want to buy an inexpensive crokinole board. No, it, it's will, the same game, <laughs> but it's not. It's completely different. You, you, you're, it's just a really big luck fest and everyone flicks too hard. It's the same game, but not fun. Completely. And so I ended up putting that board to my cabin, so it was not completely wasted or anything. But uh, yeah, it's really fun. If you haven't tried it, it's super cool. It feels like pool. It has that same thing where it's just kind of something to do while you're chatting with people. 
without it being a board game. Because sometimes even party games, you you got to play the game. You know, you can't just be all zoned out. But in Crokinole, you can kind of just be zoned out. You're just doing stuff. It's great. Yep, for sure. Super fun choice. Uh, number six, that's Crokinole from 1876. <laughs> Up 35 from last year. So big, one of the biggest gainers. All right, my man, we are in the top five. Let's let's do this. Okay. This is a game that has made a big splashback this year. Correct. You know, a game that you've had for quite a while and didn't get played for a very long time. And once we sort of started uh, re-engaging with playing games together earlier this spring, this was one of the first games that came out and then we got several reps on it. Jake, what game are we talking about here? My number five is Mombasa by Alexander Pfister, published in 2015. Originally your copy. We did a little trade for it. Indeed. Uh, which I absolutely won with. Uh, I think you did. Mombasa is a Alexander Pfister game, so it's got some similarities to his other games where it's a lot of mechanisms that you've seen other places, but put together in a way that makes it feel fresh. And weird. And weird. Yeah. Fresh and weird. Almost weird fresh. Ginger yeah. and jackfruit or something. <laughs> it's simple in that you're just playing cards to do little actions, and it's one of those games where you take a turn and there's like six things to do. There's kind of a category of Euro game that falls under that. But each one of the actions are so different that you just like, it doesn't feel like anything else you've ever played. Plus, it's a little bit financial. Um, There's technically shares in it. Depending on where you are in certain tracks, you own a certain share amount of different companies that are valued at a certain value at the end of the game. And it's just really good. My apprehensions toward this game is the theme is a little bit, I don't know, uh, won't won't do a long diatribe on it or anything, but uh, it's made me question wanting to play at certain places, to say the least. But the game is just so good. Now, honestly, it looks really nice. Mm-hmm. It's got a good publishing to it and uh, good graphic design. But I also put the fancy upgraded bits to it, which makes it a little nicer, too. But it's just such a good game. And I'm so happy we've been playing it a lot more because I think it really deserves it. It really re- rewards repeat plays. And it's just it's just a good game, dude. It's really good. We talked about not doing our research at the beginning, and we certainly didn't do it here. Did I recall hearing that this is actually getting a re-theming? <laughs> There was a Twitter thing that happened about it a year ago or ish, I want to say. And he was like, yeah, or maybe it was like a, it was on Twitter, but it was originally on BGG being like, yeah, I'd be interested in retheming it or something like that. But yeah, of course. And it, it's, it's weird because at one point in time, it's just straight up colonialism, right? It's just like, and it's like the worst flavor, you know, mm-hmm. like Af- Africa in the 1800s was just awful, like just garbage. But at the same time, it's like such a good game. But also, like, we're four white people in Minnesota doing that. I don't know. It's weird. But that being said, we do enjoy playing the game quite a bit. So he certainly doesn't shrink away from the topic. I mean, there's a there is actually a discussion in the manual about the, uh, you know, the implications and repercussions of colonialism and so forth. But uh, and it does indicate further readings, which is better than 99 percent of other Euro games. So take that with you, Will, you know, for sure. That is. uh, Wow. Not even your highest ranked Alexander Fister game, Jake. Yeah, with a somewhat unpalatable theme. Agreed. <laughs> Mombasa, that's an awesome choice. And uh, yeah, you came out ahead in that trade. I the, the, the trade we're referencing is actually kind of in the early days of Jake and Mark, long before the podcast. I traded you Mombasa in exchange for Millennium, Millennium Blades. Blades. And you don't play that very much. So I got more stuff. But I got better stuff. You got better stuff. I got more stuff. Gosh, a space-themed Mombasa, though. A space oh, yeah. themed Mombasa with the moon or something. Oh, that'd be so good. <laughs> that'd be yep. so good. That would be so cool. I agree. How do you fix it? Put it in space. Put it in space. All right, man. Well, hey, it's been a while since we've talked about 18XX. 
and it's only 18xx from now. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not. It's not. This is the, this is the last 18xx. Not even kind of. And so, therefore, when we said in the big at number four. Yep, at number four, we said last week that your uh, podcast, uh, your your and your podcast that the, the your favorite Euro game is Yokohama. My favorite 18xx game has to be 18mex. It is currently the top of the list. So for yep. 2021, I will now therefore refer to 18mex as my favorite 18xx game because it's my favorite. This is a Mark Derrick design set in Mexico. Really cool geography for trains with the fact that the United States is north and there's a handful of big revenue centers and Mexico City is cool but narrow and has mountains. I've always mm-hmm. found that train games set in this 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 country work really well. It's cool. I, I don't know what it is about the split up of the, the things, but 1822 Mex works really well, too. This game has a pretty brutal train rush. It has some nationalization and it has the perfect level of chrome. Maybe 1882 has a notch too much chrome. And this has just been notched back once more to make it the perfect level for me. I freaking love this game. been playing it a lot ever since it came out on Dot Games. And don't really know what else to say about it besides it's perfect. Yeah, shorter length. It's a reasonably good teaching game. Like, this is kind of not my first game, but it's definitely my yeah. second game. Like, I went from, uh, I took a new group into playing 18xx, and I started with 18 Chesapeake, and then rolled into 18 mechs right after that. And was a very smooth transition. I might say Chesapeake a couple of times and then do Max. Yep. But yes, yeah, that's exactly what we did. We played oh, Chesapeake, perfect, Chesapeake perfect. twice. We played Max twice, and then we went branched into uh, forty six after that. That's perfect. Yeah, it's it's good. It doesn't have too much Chrome, but it introduces some cool concepts that are also present in other games and are also really good. Like it's just a good game. Not everything about eighteen XX has to be some journey to bring people to where we are, but. This game fits in a really good niche in that. I'm off to a cabin con this weekend for a bunch of gaming. And uh, for the first time at this particular cabin con, I've got a quorum of 18xx players. So I think I think I can get an 18xx played while I'm there. And this is going to be my go to. I'm bringing 18 max. So it's a good one. My only real complaint about this game is I wish I got a full redraw. The I really like the all aboard games art style now. And if Mm -hmm. that would have been applied to this would have been sweet would have been really cool but oh yep. well it's just fine it still's a wonderful game yep 18 max from 2005 by mark derrick published by all aboard games up one spot from last year number three is another game that we hit in hard when we got back to in-person gaming this spring yeah. and uh, i think i think literally everybody in our group owns a copy of this one the og version none of the new new printings oh, i know I've been, I've been lusting after the new one though yeah, I will say if it came with uh, Rails to the North, maybe I would have, but I guess I haven't really researched it. So maybe it does. And I'll get a snarky email saying you should have just Googled this. But number three is Great Western Trail by Alexander Fister, published originally in 2016. Very similar to the other ones with Mombasa, where it's a bunch of regular actions you've seen before, but they're put together in a way that feels fresh and weird and bizarre at the same time, but really good. Okay, Jake, we've talked about Great Western Trail ad nauseum in this podcast. Correct. If you haven't heard it before, what are you doing? I'm going to play the same. <laughs> I'm going to play the same game we played with Yokohama. What's your uh, What's your strat in this game, Jake? What's your path to victory? My follow up question is: rails or no rails? Vanilla. Van- I'm, I'm not good at vanilla. I'm, I've won like twice. Cowboys and vanilla is what matters. Getting early, getting up the tax building out where people have to pay you for going that way early and then trying to get cowboys first and clogging up that market so you can get the best cows seems to be the way to win. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I've tried very and ignoring stuff. But then again, what do I know? My win percentage in Great Western Trail, I believe, is zero as well. I think the strategies do what Mark does not. Whatever no, you do, for you sure. not do that. That's the, <laughs> the easy 
way to not do something. But I think you really need cows. And I think in the other later versions with the rails expansion, you need cows a little bit less. So I am really, really good at triage. I'm really good at just walking up to a game that I've never seen before, looking at the board state and saying, oh, you should do that right now. Mm -hmm. And that is a killer second place strategy. Completely. You have to decide what you can't do and what you must do, but that you want to do. There's all these different tiers of things you could, should, would, can, will, and finally what you actually should do. So this is the same thing with Yokohama. Too often I fall back into this mold where I'm like, okay, what's the best move for me to make it this exact second? I'll do that thing. Okay, next turn, what's the best move for me to make at this exact second without an overarching strategy on that? And therefore, I have an awful lot of second place finishes and all these things, because when you do that, when you're good at that, you're not going to win very often, but you'll finish second place an awful lot of the time. Absolutely. That's where my strategy goes awry in Great Western Trail all the time. And yeah, I know your uh, your your canon way of playing this was is with the Grails to the North expansion. I played it, thought it was fun. I'd argue, though, maybe this is a game that's good in just a pure fashion by itself, but um, I will never complain about playing it either way. Absolutely. It's great. Completely agree. Number three, Great Western Trail by Alexander Pfister, an evergreen game for our gaming group. Correct. Rose by eight this past year. What's number two, Jake? My number two is pretty good one. Another G game, Gaia Project. Designed by Jens Drogemuller and Helga Ostertag in 2017. Can you believe this game came out in 2017? Man, these last two years have been weird. I literally thought this game came out like the other year. You know what I mean? Like, wow, time flies. Jake, when's the last time you've played this one? Probably 2017. Okay, I was going to say, like, I remember you guys playing it a lot when it first came out, but I have no recent memories of you playing it. I played it in 2019. Played it a lot okay. in 2019. And actually, we didn't play when it first came out. We played it in 2018, which was a year after it came out. Oh, that's true. Yeah. We kind of slept on it a little bit. We did. The original source of this game was we knew Kirk liked Terra Mystica, but for whatever reason, would never bring it. And he liked space games. So we're like, Kirk, we're going to buy this game for Christmas. And Tyler and I like either convinced his wife to buy it for him because she needed gift ideas or like we pulled together or something. And we're like, oh, well, we should play it. And we tried. We just freaking fell in love with it. It was so good. One of the few games I've actually traded an 18xx game for was for Guy Project for my copy. And it's just it's just really good. It's very similar to Terra Mystica where you are different races kind of colonizing these different hexagons. Try to build your little empire, right? Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of rules. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a bunch of different resource types. There's a bunch of different conversion charts. There's a bunch of different races that you can build things in certain orders to get certain powers. And it's just good, man. It's just good. I love this game. I have not played it in a while, which makes it really sad. It's got a bit of the weird shaped box issue similar to Age of Steam where I don't bring it a lot because <laughs> it doesn't fit in my small bag. Yep. Yep. But uh, it's just really good. Love this game. It's it's really my favorite Euro game for sure. What pushes this over the top for you versus Terra Mystica? I've only played Terra Mystica twice, so this is my fill in for that. And I'm, I'm okay, living fair. in a naive world where I don't need to worry about which one's better. <laughs> this is This is my heavy one. And then... Clans of Caledonia is my late one, so I don't really have to make that decision, and it's an easy world I live in. Please do not change it. You live in the Caverna world with being ignorant to Agricola. Correct. Correct. (laughs) Cool. Great choice. Um, I have played this exactly once. This falls into the category of games that other people around me have mastered, so I have to buck up and decide if I want to play it that I'm going to play for three hours and finish fourth. But you say that, and I haven't played in two years, so... It's a fair point. What do you think the uh, the half-life on data is in my Twilight Years brain? <laughs> like, 
how long do you think the, those skills exist? I would say they are no longer present. So maybe it's the time to break it back out. That's a fair point. I mean, we recent I recently uh, threatened to pull Eclipse, the second edition out, and you vetoed yeah. it because you're like, oh, I haven't played that in a couple of years. I'm like, come on, you've played it a bazillion no, times. Have you really no, forgotten no. it? That my, mine was not based on how to play. Mine was if we knew how to play, not 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 like how to strategically how to play, well. play. Oh, sure. <laughs> no, it's just did we know how the game actually worked from a rule standpoint? And I didn't want to spend the whole game night being in the rules book. But anyway, I would like to play Eclipse again as a side note. Oh, yeah. Very soon. Very soon. For sure. I did um, a weekend after that, played it with my family. And there were certainly things that needed some coming back. But um, I'm, I'm ready. I can teach it quick now. So we, we need to do that. Gotcha. Well, that was probably the most climactic part of my list um, with the one spot raise gain from last year for Gaia Project, because number one, like we should just say it and be done, right? Like we talk about this game all the time. My number one game (laughs) for 2021 is the 2002 classic by Martin Wallace, not John Bohr. His name has been removed from BGG. Brass? No, not Brass. Australia? Yes, Australia. Cool. Thanks podcast all done <laughs> no age of steam recently reprinted by eagle griffin games love this game it's got a million maps um really fun really is a euro game with trains kind of laid over the top of it and it's perfect i just love it it's my number one game i really don't see this one changing really because yeah, it is i don't see how you could if if you like age of steam i don't know how it would be possible for you ever to just go you know i'm kind of burned out on age of steam because there's enough maps given all the different maps out there i have i think i have 18 maps now and i have five more on the way six more on the way pardon me it's just so good i could play that 20 times which if we're being realistic that would be probably a year's worth of plays and i could play sure. every map once and it'd be just fine and I'd even be just fine playing a couple of maps four or five times. It's plenty enough variety for me, but it still feels the same. And it just seems dope. It's awesome. I have nothing to add. It's just good. Yep. You know, with with the with the caveat in that, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, this might be one of the scarier games on this list. Yeah, I would say it's pretty high for people might have a bad experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's one that, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful game. It's great. You'll have great experience, but definitely have been part of games where somebody had a horrible experience in this game because it can go very wrong for you and it's excessively unforgiving if it does go wrong for you. And that's Absolutely. the one caveat with it is that this this is not this is not some place you take everybody. No, sir. But if they like it there, be there all the time. It is it is fun because the only way it's going to get less scary is by being there a lot. Excellent choice. I mean, it was number two on my list. So, you know, yeah, it placed um, well, hard, hard to complain. That's, you know, got an average score of one point five in the gaming moguls. Heck yeah. So let's just rapid fire a bit of my ones that almost made it and we'll get out of here quick. What were the also rands and, and interesting trends that you want to call out? Caverna, the cave tra- farmers was twenty one. I probably think Agricola will be in its spot next year. Terraforming Mars, which is a great game because I like Tableau Builders. Azul, my favorite really light game. Santa Monica, my other favorite light game, but for gamers. And 1848, because it is also crummy like 18 mechs, but I hadn't played it as much as I had played 18 mechs, so this one might go up. The reprint's a little bit less inspired than I kind of wanted it to be, but GMT made it look okay. Here's my takeaways, and you can argue because I definitely argued with you on yours. Of the completely new games to the list this year, none of them are in the top 25, which is weird. I ranked 56 games this year, and I did 56 last year. And the new ones that I have are Hallertau at 29, Ginkopolis at at 37, and St. Petersburg at 42, and Stevenson's Rocket at 46. I don't think one will 
creep up into top 20. Maybe Agricola, but Agricola is technically on this list at spot number 40. Sure. Agricola could be up there. Hmm. I could see Imperial Settlers falling. I could see a Cubrail sneaking up if I like really focused on one. I mean, I could see I could see like a St. Petersburg creeping up into like the Clans of Caledonia spot or something like that, given that you already have Gaia Project on the list and so forth. I mean, that sort of, you know, 15 through maybe. 20. Rack. Yeah, maybe. But I, I don't know. I'll, I'll be surprised. I have this theory that it's kind of just bidding a bit of adjustments here and there. But with that being said, there are some pretty big gainers this year. Mombasa jumped 38, Crokinole jumped 35, Indonesia 22, Santa Monica 24, 48, Australia jumped 19. Those are some pretty big jumpers, but there's only three of those are in my top 25. The rest of the jumps came from outside of it. And within the top 25, things kind of moved around four to five-ish, which I guess is that a rounding area. Yeah. At that point, it almost is. Right. And so I guess if I were to redo it, if things would be there, so... I don't know. I'll be interested to see what happens. And this is not me saying that I don't like new games. I just think it's that my new ethos on games, if if we play something I've never played before, it's me not playing one of these top 25 games. And maybe that's just the mentality that's going to keep me from adding one of those games in. But at the same time, I'm acknowledging that there's new good games that I've played for the first time this year. Gengopolis is really good. I really enjoyed Hollertau as well. So I don't know. We'll be interested to see. You know, where this gets a little weird, Jake, is that pretty obviously your list was pretty dominated by 18xx games Mm -hmm. and you know those at a certain level live in a different bucket much the same way like dungeons and dragons or gloomhaven would live in a different Mm -hmm. bucket right i mean because sure we we do play 18xx sometimes on wednesday night but it's relatively rare but at the same time i probably play them the most with online i guess where i'm going with this one is that the number of times you're going to choose between playing 1832 and agricola is functionally never yeah well the issue is because i know the answer i'd always choose a Really, this list should be 18xx's and then like the three euro games that I would probably consider above it. And then I should just do the rest of the list because like it, it is weird to say like, OK, we'll race for the galaxies above 1817. No, it's not. I'd, every single time I'd choose to play 1817 if I could sure. to copy and paste myself four times. And, right. and it's kind of, it's the same reason I pulled Gloomhaven out of the list, you know, right. whereas it's impossible to compare the two. So. You, you you really you realistically have kind of two different categories of things mishmashed in here that don't really cross compare accurately. Yeah, we'll see what I do. Maybe next year I'll just do two different eighteen. I'll do two different lists, two top tens, top ten eighteen xx, and a top ten not eighteen xx. Let's do that next year. Let's do let's specifically well, do an episode where we do our top ten eighteen xx's, and then I mean you're 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 where we first approached this at. That was my first thought on this game because it didn't really make sense. And I think when I first did it in twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen, yeah, 19, we did that originally. We didn't include eighteen yeah, xx's, and people didn't like it because I just made it my first number one game. And it's of course it's always been my favorite game because it's a category of games. It almost feels like if I were to break Age of Steam down in individual maps, it probably would get lower, but. I, I don't know. I don't know. I might do it both ways. And if it turns out the way it did now, we're right. Functionally, nine of my top 10 or in my top 20 are 18xx. I should probably just break them up. Right. And then yeah. just make it easier for listening. But all I'm doing is I'm calling out how it's kind of it's a false equivalency to say that, you know, I'm always going to pick 18xx is because you aren't always going to have the opportunity to pick an 18xx. See, but that's the issue is I think I'll always mentally say I'd rather be playing 18xx over pretty much every single game. Aside from like three, and that's Gaia, Age of Steam, and Great Western Trail. Sure. I get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. And I think that's fair, but 
Yeah, it's it's just weird. I, I don't know. I don't really know how to 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 either do it. Now that we're on this side of the fence, I almost regret how we used to do it and want to go back to just having the eighteen thirty be the filler and kind of move around the other stuff more. But I've been doing it for so long. Part of me wonders if the the, the changes over the years will be less interesting if I change up the way I'm doing it. But who knows? We'll do it both ways next year and evaluate. So sounds good. Hey, that'll give you something to look forward to. And and maybe in the meantime, we can deep dive a little bit into <laughs> some of those topics and why they made our list and go a little more into those details over the next year. So promise you in the new year coming up, I have a shiny new microphone here, which hopefully sounds Ooh. lovely. So that means that I'm all loaded and locked and ready to do some podcasting in 2022. Jake, I hope you are as well. Let's do it. I think I think the main workflow is we'll be making sure that we don't have to do two episodes on the same subject matter. That's the yes, main definitely the main workflow over Christmas as well. Making sure that we got it out before that. Not doing a repeated episode is a plus for sure. Absolutely. The final thing I will say before we wrap up these top 20s, I would like to do an over-under game with you, and I'll put a note on our sheet so we can actually talk about it next episode. What do you think your over-number list for top 20 new games that you have not played yet for next year? Ooh, that's a good guess. And I'm just going to go with a gut feel on this one. How many games are going to... So how many games will be in my top 20 next year that I have not played as of today? have not played yet today. Ever played? Ever played. Okay. I don't think it's going to be that many. See, I don't know. That's why I found mm. interesting because there mm. was a few this year. If we look at your list, I think it was yeah. like you had um, the German politics game. You had the German cube game. You had the German. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go. Hmm, I'm going to go three. I'm going to go okay, two or yeah. three. Yeah. Two or three. I think that's the fair number. I think three is fair because you could take over or under on that. I think it's inclusive. I think it's 2.5. So do you want to be under or over? But I'm sitting back. I don't have this big pile of games sitting here right now that I'm looking at saying that I'm just dying to play that I think could be up there. That was kind of 2021 for me where I got to play a lot of those games that have been hanging out there that I've never played that I like. This is this is Hansa Teutonica. This is Ginkopolis. This is Demacher. This is. Uh, St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg. A whole yeah. Pile of those. Hollertown too. This is a, to play. a magnum opus to older Uwe's, which I know is not in your top twenty, but yeah. So. And I, I don't have that mental list this year. I don't have a pile of games that I'm sitting that I've never played that I'm dying to play. I'm, I'm probably taking the under on three, but you'll take under then, and I'll take over. But I mean, like fresh fish, that would be that would be the one lurking one out there that possibly could make that list that is i could see it a well extremely well-regarded game that i have never played and i would probably like so that one would be the one lurking out there that's the only one i can think of and what's our over under of how many 2022 release games are we even going to play well not 2020 i just mean new to us in 20. sure yeah but but no even even i mean how many new games that we don't know about are we going to play this year zero absolutely zero <laughs> People are saying that 2021 was also a really good year for board games, which is surprising because I'm pretty sure this is my lowest published year board game plays ever. Yeah. So maybe it'll be a catch up too. I keep seeing people on Twitter saying this was an amazing year. And so maybe when stuff gets to us. I had this thing with Magic the Gathering. When I, once I stopped collecting, I couldn't pay attention to it anymore. Like, you know, people mm-hmm. would talk about decks and cards that since I didn't, I didn't know anything about the set and didn't know the cards, it was all just blah, blah, blah to me. And at a certain level, some of the board game chatter this year became blah, 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 because all, all the board game podcasts are talking about games that I've never played. Totally. And, and I wonder if it's going to get to a point where Kirk's going to still live in that and he's going to bring a game and we'll be like, holy crap, this will knock us off. I'll take the over. Um, I <laughs> okay. think the number for me is I think the number for me is one. Like, will I have one or not? I think that's the binary sure. one. And 
I think I'm, I'll be surprised. You got one. I got three. I'm taking the under on three, even though I'll go with three and you're going with the over. No. Yeah. No, it's, it's two and a half. So I got three. You have two. Got it. Got it. It's kind of the split there. And I think my under is 0.8 or whatever. So just below one. I don't think there'll be one. I could maybe see one of the like thirties or forties sneaking up and something dropping way down. that just didn't play, but I don't know. I, I, I foresee half of my top 10 top 20 being 18 XX and half being the other euros. And I don't really see a lot of the euros really moving. I mean, they're, they're the games by mountain Rushmore's roll race, Mombasa, Great Western trail and guy those and age of scene. Those are like my kind of games, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see who knows for sure. Well, you know, shocker and spoiler alert to all of our listeners. We're the old hotness podcast. So <laughs> if you're coming yeah. here to hear about the new game, that's coming out. Yeah. We're not going to look we're elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun, Jake. And um, I was I was a great time doing this and revisiting where we're at every year. And we'll see where it lands next year. Sounds great. We've been the Gaming Moguls. I'm Mark. And I'm Jake. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Gaming Moguls or reach us via email jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.